Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Okie dokie. Here we are. Hey, Dest. Hey. I see you made it back in one piece from North Carolina. <laughs> you and the kiddos and Caleb. Glad you're back home getting acclimated. Meanwhile, we press on to this high calling prize of Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. Well, what started to be the possibility of one episode uh, quickly grew to an understanding that we needed to do two episodes concerning this, uh, this stone of monumental importance. And the last time we were together, uh, we talked a little bit about our family Thanksgiving celebration and how this led to watch this powerful documentary called Monumental. Again, highly recommend that you check it out. You know, again, uh, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, we, we get back to the blueprint and we rebuild our lives according to God's design and What's so tremendous about that documentary is there is this legacy, this heritage left behind by our pilgrim forefathers and foremothers that if we ever lost our way, if we went astray, uh, we did have a strategy. We did have a roadmap. Uh, we did have a secret sauce recipe that we could look at that would point true north and to get us back on track uh, with the Lord and with our nation and to see it blessed once again. So uh, these truths and what's communicated on this monument it is absolutely necessary and indeed monumental for sure. Uh, just a side note, uh, my son Micah is prayerfully seeking the Lord. And I believe he's going to call the church monumental, monumental church. And at that time, uh, he didn't know about this documentary. And so we watched it and I said, Micah, <laughs> pay attention because these are powerful truths and principles that are foundational uh, to build a church that would be like salt and light. That would be the antidote to the poison that's destroying this nation from within and from without. So, the last time we were together, we discussed the, the woman faith and her hand extended to the sky, her finger pointing to the heavens, acknowledging the one true and living God. Um, she had an open Geneva Bible in her hand, which means she was reading it. And as a result, she had a star upon her head, which represented the wisdom of God. And then uh, we went to another carving that uh, promoted the idea of morality and the importance of morality 
uh, when it came to be a free people who would walk in liberty. You must remember that um, our founding fathers, uh, their principle was self-government uh, was the key to liberty. So we had to put a chain on the beast from within so we could be free from the chain of the beast from without. And so, again, you know, John Adams, the Constitution was only made for a religious and moral people, totally unsuitable for any other, right? And so, you know, the importance of morality and and then um, I think it was uh, the evangelist. Is that where we went to, honey? I think it, that was the next. Yeah, it was the evangelist. And so where do we get true morality? Well, we get that from the Bible. We get that from the scriptures. We get that from the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, the pilgrim forefathers understood the importance of evangelism and the importance of the office of the evangelist. So as they're preaching the word of God, which has the, you know, which is true, which has the power to set free, you know, um, that, you know, that's how God uh, spread uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And that's how souls were liberated. And, and, um, and so they had, they highlighted the importance of evangelism on this monument, knowing that righteousness exalted a nation, but sin was reproached to any people. And then, of course, um, the next one was law and the importance of good law as foundational for a just justice system. And if you haven't not uh, listened to that other podcast, I highly recommend that you go through these virtues and these attributes uh, once again, so critically important. So now we're going to press on. <clears throat> There's much more to this monument. It's, in, it's an incredible piece of work. Again, this is 252 feet high, took 70 years to build. Um, 180 tons of granite and each carving which, which has carvings next to it each of those statutes statues were 20 tons a piece I mean it, it really is a, a magnificent uh, work of art but more importantly than the outward you know uh, kind of wonder you know of this largest monument in America it's the truths that it exemplifies, which is so important for our future and our hope. So after law, we come to this next carving, which is called education. And it's very interesting how they present the importance of education, especially when it comes to our young. And so here they have another woman. She's young. She's a young mother. Now get this. She's seated on a throne of victory. Now, our culture would never connect those dots. I mean, we live in a day where being a full-time wife and mother is totally demeaned and belittled, acting as if, it robs women of their potential. Well, this monument totally blows up that lie from the pit of hell because this young mother is seated on a throne of victory and she has 
a book in her hand. You guessed it. The Bible. The Book of Knowledge. And she also has a victory wreath in her hair. She is crowned with good things of the Lord. And what this communicating is, this mother, according to Titus chapter 2, she's a teacher of good things as she educates her children and the fear and the admonition of the Lord. She is obeying Proverbs 22.6. Train your children in the way they should go. And according to God's promise, when they are old, they shall not depart from it. So she's seated on this throne of victory with a wreath of victory in her hair with a Bible. And she is faithfully passing on the faith, the truth, and a biblical worldview to her children that will highlight their responsibilities, but also to ensure their future liberties. And we do have to make that connection. It's, it's a very, very important one, because I do believe in this generation, this generation loves liberty, really. They love licentiousness, and we have not taught them the responsibilities that come with preserving true liberty. Which, and true freedom, which is not the power to do what we want when we want. True freedom is the power to do as we ought, the power to do what is right. And it's through that model we can apply our talents, our skills, and we can prosper uh, in the United States of America. And so right next to this woman is the carving of another young lady, but this time she is holding the hand of her son. And the son is looking up at the mother, and the mother is looking down on the son. They clearly have a wonderful relationship. And in her hand, she has another book. And it's implied that she is teaching her son from this book. And the son, he has in his hand a scroll. And this indicates that he is recording what his mother is teaching him. Now, our family, the Thomas Nation, we had a homeschool we called the University of Righteousness. Okay? And about all the Christian curriculum, the one that we found the best, the most superior, in my estimation, was the principal approach, Noah's plan, because it was based on the four R's of learning, which are these, research, reason, relate, and record. And so through this curriculum, we, you know, we would give assignments to our children. And the beauty of this curriculum, no matter what subject we tackled, it all traced back to God and to the foundation of scriptural truth. So this is creating a biblical worldview uh, to our children when it comes to all areas of life. And through the, the researching, through the reasoning, through the 
relating where you have to convince us as parents that you can verbally through the spoken word and through writing convince us that you have learned this material that you have a grasp of it that you can articulate it well and then of course you record it you write it down why because we have to pass on the faith and the truth to our children and their children again this multi kingdom generational vision and what was so good about the four r's just going through the process of learning the curriculum it produced godly character you have to understand when it comes to education brothers and sisters multiple choice fill in the blank true or false you can guess at education if you have a little bit of reasoning ability a little bit of logic you can guess your way through learning but i will tell you in the long run that aspect of education does not produce godly character it's when you wrestle with the material when you read and you study and then you reason and then you have to relate it and then you have to record it that's what produces godly character in are young now i also find it interesting and again our our pilgrim forefathers had a biblical worldview even when it came to education so you'll notice the carvings are not like public school buildings it doesn't show a picture of a principal or a teacher it shows mothers mothers and if you hear anything from me here today on this podcast, please understand this. Education is not just a learning issue. It's a jurisdictional issue. There is nowhere in the Bible where God ordains the state to teach our children. That's their, not their calling. That is not their responsibility. When you study the scriptures, it is clear from God's word that family government is responsible when it comes to the educating, the training, and the teaching of our children. I want to give you this quote um, from Noah Webster. Uh, he's known as the father of American education, by the way. And this is how he defines education in his 1828 edition. And I believe these carvings, you know, really kind of concur with Noah Webster's definition of education. Listen, th this is carries the importance of educating our young. And it's going to surprise you what Noah Webster thought was important when it came to educating our children and who is most responsible when it comes to their education. So this is what he says, the bringing up as of a child instruction, listen, formation of manners. Like back then parents took the time to make sure their children were polite, that they had manners. That's how I raised my children. 
I raised my children to look adults in the eye. And if they were a man, my boys were instructed, take their hand, give them a firm handshake and look them in the eye. And when they were talked to, if it was a woman, yes, ma'am. And if it was a, a, a man, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Just manners, politeness. Well, that's a lost art in today's generation. We need to get it back. Ed education comprehends all that series of instruction and discipline, which is intended to enlighten the understanding. Watch this. Correct the temper and form the manners and habits of youth. So when it comes to education, he's saying one of the most important aspects of education is to train our children to develop a godly character that exercises self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Well, we don't do that today. We're, we're, we're teaching them self-esteem. So no matter how wicked they are, how bad they are, no matter how much they fail, they get a participation trophy and we just want to make them feel good about themselves while they're abject failures. And look at the fruit of this generation. It is unbelievable. Most of this generation has not been told no. Most of this generation has not been disciplined. And most of this generation has not been spanked. And what is the fruit of that? Hell is savaging them. All because we are not educating our children according to God's word. We are not developing godly character in our youth. And then he goes on to say, to give children a good education in manners, arts, and science is important. Yes, academics are important. They have a place when it comes to the education of our children. But I guarantee you, Noah Webster does not believe that's the most important. He actually tells you initially what's the most important, their character. I can remember when we first started homeschooling, when I was out traveling, fighting the battle uh, in our nation, uh, my first wife, Liz, we started homeschool. She would, she'd call me up. She would cry. She would weep. She was saying, I can't teach them. They won't learn. I got to spend all this time like disciplining them, spanking them to get them to sit and listen and learn. And she's boo-hooing and and I'm trying to comfort her and pray for her. And finally, we just realized that's not a disruption. That's not a distraction. That is part of training our children in godly character. I would do this in the church as a pastor. I, you know, there were times when I was even ministering as a pastor. My kids would act up in the church. I take off my pastor hat, said, excuse me, congregation. I go down into the congregation, put on my father's hat, and I would deal with them. And I would tell the church, listen, if you're looking for a pristine church that doesn't do life, you know, where you don't have stinky diapers and crying babies and kids that need to be disciplined, this church is not for you. Go somewhere else. But in here, this church, we do real life. And it's here 
that we are going to train and educate and discipline our children. Amen. Excuse me. So he says, yeah, academics have a place. But this is what he said is more important. To give them a religious education is indispensable. An immense responsibility rests on parents and guardians who neglect these duties. Notice he didn't say an immense responsibility rests on the government, rests on the state, rests on principals, you know, supervisors, teachers. He said, no, parents, guardians. What does this reflect? This reflects a biblical worldview of education. Again, it's not just a learning issue. It's a jurisdictional issue. And it's in Deuteronomy 6, 9 and Deuteronomy 32, 46, 7 that shows how important this is to the Lord and to our future and our hope. So listen very carefully to these words. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart, parent. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Well, how do we do that? Well, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, right before this is the famous passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love this Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So here the Bible is giving us the greatest commandment of all. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the first fruit? The first way that God knows we love him? We home educate our children. Did you catch that? There's a direct connection between the greatest commandment and the fruit of that commandment, which means we homeschool our children. We teach them in the way they should go. We walk with them. We do life together with them. How did Jesus disciple and mentor the apostles? How did he do that? Did he have a building that they went into? Have a whistle? King to reality, class. You know, PE, let's go swimming. Let's go out in the boat. Is that how he taught the disciples? No, he slept with them. He ate with them. He walked along the way with them. It was something artificial. It was organic. He was taking the wisdom and the knowledge of an understanding that he exemplified. And he was faithfully imparting that to his apostles. And we are commissioned to do the same. Now, why is this important? Well, if you look at public education today, and listen, if you want to know the vision and mission behind public education, study the humanistic manifestos, study the communist manifesto. It will tell you the purpose behind government-sponsored 
education, where they use our tax dollars to indoctrinate our children. It's been a disaster. And one of the claims of public education is that they wanted to destroy Christianity and build upon its corpse a new religion called secular humanism. Their plan has worked. 85% of Christian children raised in Christian homes that went to Christian churches by their first year of college, they defect from the faith and become twice fold the sons of hell before we got our hands on them. Now, I'm going to ask you, Christian parent, would you buy a plane ticket when you know statistically 85% of the time that plane is going to crash and burn? Are you going to get on that plane? You know you wouldn't do it, but we're still sending our kids off to the wolves to raise our lambs, and they are being devoured. And what this produces, when you, when you bring our young through public education, you're creating good little statists that cannot critically think and therefore does not have the moral fortitude to preserve freedom because they're not being taught the truths that are on this monument. Parents are not teaching this to the children. And sadly, the church is not teaching this to our congregations. And we wonder why we are in the mess that we are in. Now, listen, this is Deuteronomy 32, 46, 47. This is the end of Deuteronomy. At the beginning of the Deuteronomy, Love me with all your heart. How do I know you love me? You're home educating your kids. And he's going to reiterate this at the end of Deuteronomy. And this is what he says. Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today. Listen. Which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. And this is what I love, because a lot of people, they ask, what's the meaning of life? What's this all about, Alfie? Well, God is going to give you a clue here. He's going to give you an indication what life is all about. What is the meaning of life? He says, for it, loving him, studying his word, living out your faith, Passing on the truth to your children. He said, this is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. Do you catch that? This is not a futile thing. This is your life. Are you telling me, Rusty, that I am to teach my children at home, raise them up in the fear of the admonition of the Lord, encourage them to marry a good, godly spouse, have as many children as God blesses them with, and they themselves take up where you left off and pass on this multi-kingdom generation, this faith, these commandments of God to make sure their children obey the Lord? Are you telling me that God says this is the meaning of life? I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, that's exactly what he says. And that's exactly what he means. And most Christians are not in obedience. 
Most Christians are living their life by the spirit of the age and not by holy writ and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We are in disobedience and our children are paying the price. Well, it goes from there now to the importance of elders. There's another carving. Okay, that that demonstrates how important elders and grandparents are when it comes to the importance of educating our young. And so it, it's a carving. Uh, it's displaying this elderly gentleman. He has the hoary head, the hoary head that we find in the book of Proverbs uh, and the elder's name. Wisdom. There you go. You know, this is a man who's lived long. Um, he's been around the block a few times. He's gained some experience. Uh, and also he studied to show himself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so uh, um, he, he's, he's standing there and he has one hand pointing to the ground where there's an open Bible and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And so you got to picture this. Here's this elderly gentleman, the hoary head individual. Um, he's pointing to the ground on one side. There's the Bible. There's the Ten Commandments. On the other side, there is a globe. And I'm going to get into that later. But I do want to again give this commentary on this current generation. In the history of man, I don't think... And I may be wrong here. I, you know, I'm open to correction. I don't think there's a generation that has been raised that has rejected the counsel, the wisdom and advice of their elders. America, it seems we've accomplished that. If you look at the fruit of this generation, this is a youth oriented pop culture captivated by screens and it's very rare indeed for a younger person to go to an elderly person to ask advice as they negotiate through the challenges of life and so you know what what are we seeing here why why does this generation seem so foolish so lost, so enamored with lesser things that have nothing to do with the reality of life. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for this, brothers and sisters, but I guarantee you one of those reasons, if we have not trained our children to know the importance of the elderly. When I was raising my children, we, we, we did a couple of things. One of the things that I, um, I demanded was care for their youngers and respect for their elders. That's how I, I gauged my children's walk with the Lord. Their degree of obedience to Christ is how they cared for those younger and how they respected their elders. No rolling of the eyes, no talking back. Obey quickly and quietly the first time. That was the standard. And one of the other things I did, whenever I had any guests come in from around the nation, 
men and women of faith, men and women that were doing a good kingdom work that had expertise in certain areas of life. I would have my children gather around them, sit at their feet and listen, listen to their stories, listen to the battles, listen to the fruit, look them in the eye, ask them questions. Because I didn't want my children to get their meaning and identity and value in life from their peers. Their peers are just as foolish as they are. But today, that's exactly what's happening. Most young people are getting their value, meaning and ideas from their peers, not their parents and certainly not the grandparent and the elderly. And I got to tell you, that's one of the main reasons why we're raising a foolish generation that have no clue what they're losing because they have no clue what they had. And it's a terrible, terrible waste as we squander their future and their hope. And so the monument rebukes that. The monument is saying, no, that's not the way to go. No, young people look to the Horiad, go to them, ask them questions, because you I, just look at world history. I, I don't care where you look. I don't care what nation, ethnicity, religion or philosophy of a nation. There was always, always that relationship between the elderly and the young. You know, the elderly would sit them down and they would school them and instruct them uh, in in their nation's history and heritage. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying everything that they taught them was good or right or true. But what I am telling you, according to nature, they understood the importance of that relationship between the young and the elderly. It seems we've raised a generation that doesn't care about that one whit. And the fruit of it stinks the high heavens. So here we have this elder. He's He's reminding the young that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. And he's reminding them that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as I mentioned before, there was three things on the ground. There was the Bible and the Ten Commandments on one side, and there was the globe on the other side. And this indicates that this grandfather is teaching the daughter. You remember that woman? Seated on the throne of victory with the wreath in her hair. Yeah, that daughter. Remember the other carving with the mother and the son? Yeah, that daughter. He's teaching the daughter and his grandchildren a biblical worldview of life and to admonish them to fulfill the Great Commission in time and history. And as way of reminder, I'm just going to remind you what that task is, the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. God's word declares this. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been, past tense, given to me in heaven, now get this, and on earth. Most Christians don't have a problem believing he has all authority in heaven. We got a serious problem when it comes to him having authority on this earth. Because we look at the world and the darkness and the demons and the George Soros's and the Bill Gates and the Schwab guys and all the gazillionaires and all their plans. And we think, oh my gosh, you know, there's no way Jesus Christ has authority on the earth. Well, I'm telling you what the Bible says. 
I don't care what we think. I don't care what the headlines say. I don't care how much they conspire in smoke-filled rooms. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Past tense, given to him. I hate to blow this to you, but he's not our soon-coming king. He's already been coronated king. And he rules now and reigns in the affairs of men. He sets up kingdoms. He knocks them down. Okay, we've got to settle that in our heart, brothers and sisters. So he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now get this, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So what's the Great Commission? I have all authority. And because I have that church, you go, you, disciples the, you disciple the nations. You baptize the nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you make sure the nations keep my commandments. That's what this hoary head, this elderly gentleman, is communicating to his daughter and to his grandchildren. He is teaching them a biblical worldview of life to fulfill the Great Commission in time and history. And boy... We need to be doing the same now. Grandpa, grandma, it's not time to travel and sell out your inheritance and consume your inheritance. No, God has invested much in your life. And even though you're elderly, and maybe you don't think you're of much use, but I guarantee you, you have a lot to offer. You have knowledge and wisdom and understanding to pass to your children and grandchildren. Take advantage of it pour into their lives so critically important we don't want to just you know we don't want to squander that deal and the last carving statue uh, is one that Kirk Cameron and Marshall Foster called Liberty Man sounds like a much needed superhero uh, in today's generation, Liberty Man. And uh, I, I, I believe I stated last time that Kirk called him a stud. He said, he doesn't look like some fuddy-duddy, you know, like religious wimpy guy. You know, he's, he's, he's serious. Uh, and uh, he's seated on a throne of victory. And... Marshall Foster, he, commenting on his significance, stated that he was the end result of America obeying the matrix of liberty presented by this monument. In other words, liberty man came as a result of faith and morality, evangelism, you know, law, education, uh, elderly passing on, you know, faith and truth and worldview to their children and to their grandchildren. As a result, you have this great figure on this monument called Liberty Man. It, it, the imagery is pretty intense, uh, especially when you look at his eyes. Um, you kind of look at his eyes and he's sitting there and he has a certain contentment, satisfaction, knowing that he is free, but is also his eyes convey 
uh, vigilance. Like he is looking out on the horizon to make sure there's nothing coming down the road that would threaten his freedom or his liberty. And there's a willingness in his eyes to defend liberty if it comes to that. And so he's an interesting figure. He's an imposing figure. Uh, He's, uh, you know, He's he's a he's a hunk of, of granite. <laughs> he's a hunk of a guy in granite. Okay, and he means business. But like I said, there's also this certain contentment knowing the battle is won and liberty uh is preserved. And so he's seated on this throne of victory, he's looking out. Now he holds in one hand a broken chain, and it's kind of going down his leg. And you see like part of a leg iron. So this indicates at one point, this chain was about his ankle, that he was suffering uh, from religious and civil tyranny. This, This was a man at one time who was oppressed. And, and like I said, he, he, uh, he, he has this satisfaction that, those days are gone, and now there's this new chapter in his life, a new season of his life. And obviously, this kind of portrays uh, the history of the pilgrims and the Puritans. And um, it becomes even clearer when you realize the other aspects of this statute, um, because there's not just this broken chain but there's a claw grasping his shoulder. And as you follow the claw, you find a carcass of a dead lion with a lion's head behind him, totally in defeat. Okay, so you got this broken chain, you got this claw still trying to grasp his shoulder to hang on, but that lion is now dead. And of course, that lion represented... Uh, England's tyranny and uh, Liberty Man (laughs) obviously defeated that lion and so once again he's free but Liberty Man wants to remain free and it's interesting because that statue in a sense really kind of portrays even some of the the admonition that came in our Declaration of Independence. You know, when we were going to cut ties with England because of the religious and civil tyranny that was being committed uh, against America. And I want to remind you what our Declaration teaches, especially when it comes to our future liberty and hope. This is what it says. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But, and this is a big but, When a long train of abuses and usurpations 
pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them, speaking about our nation, America, under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Interesting about the Statue of Liberty Man, not only is there a broken chain, not only is there a dead lion indicating that uh, we've been set free from tyranny, um, there is also a sheathed sword in one of his hands. Now the sword is sheathed, but you definitely get the indication that if a form of government arose that would seek to destroy our freedoms and liberties, that limit liberty man would do exactly what the Declaration of Independence suggested, that they would throw off that form of government and provide new guards for their future security and liberty. And I got to tell you, when, when, I, when I saw this monument, this aspect of the monument, it took me back to when I visited Scotland, specifically William Wallace's uh, memorial. It's powerful. It's awesome. It's right near Stirling Bridge where he won one of his great victories against the English. And as we were going through the memorial, there was some artistic depictions uh, about Scotland and England, and it was very similar to Liberty Man in the sense that they drew a lot of imagery from the scriptures when it talks about Christ as the lion, like crushing the head of the serpent. They drew a lot of that biblical imagery and narrative. So in the pictures we were seeing at the memorial, it was this lion. And again, this lion had a chain in his paw that was broken and it was severed, but it was connected to a man that was part man and part snake on the ground. The man was holding the chain. The lion broke that chain. Now, in this depiction, the lion is Scotland. The, the man and part of the snake represented England. And so you had Scotland on top of this man, part snake. The chain is broken. Meanwhile, the snake coming out from the man is biting the paw of the lion and the lion's paw is coming down, crushing the head of this man's snake. And so obviously this is straight, you know, from the scriptures. This is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ crushing the head of the serpent. And, and I want you to understand this victory, brothers and sisters, is not just, you know, Christ's victory over Satan or even, you know, political triumph, you know, that brings about freedom from tyranny. Um, this also teaches us that this victory extends to the church of Jesus Christ, even in these dark tumultuous days. 
This is what Romans 16:20 declares. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So I want to conclude with this about this monument and specifically Liberty Man. This man represents the one faith, truth, and worldview that created the most blessed, free, and prosperous nation in world history, the United States of America. Tragically, brothers and sisters, we don't believe this anymore. We know nothing of this monument. We know nothing of the roadmap. We know nothing of the strategy. We know nothing of the secret sauce recipe to get us back where we belong. And I pray uh, this podcast will illuminate some of these truths to you because we got a long way to go to get back to where we need to be. But right now, we're being led astray, okay? These are dark days of deception and delusion. And here's the reason why. America is still trying to pretend like we're a free nation, but we're looking to other faiths, other gods, other philosophies, other worldviews. And when we do that, that's a fool's errand. That will never, ever achieve or preserve true liberty and freedom that our hearts desire. What we're doing right now, brothers and sisters, we're turning the Garden of Liberty into a wasteland of corruption and tyranny. And boy, do we ever need liberty, man, to arise in these days. See, here's the problem, brothers and sisters. We have turned true liberty into lasciviousness. And as a result, we suffer moral anarchy in our culture. And once moral anarchy is unleashed, it always leads to civil tyranny. This is what the Word of God teaches. You can find it in Proverbs 28.2. This is what God's Word warns. Because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes. But by a man, liberty man, a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. So what is the scriptures teaching us? When a people lose the moral fortitude to properly handle freedom, it automatically creates a blob of civil government to crush those freedoms. And now you're subject to tyranny and oppression. But if we can get men and women today to teach their children the truths presented in this monument, Perhaps men and women in the future will be men and women of understanding and knowledge so that our rights, our human rights and liberties and freedoms will be preserved for future generations. I'm going to end with this quote by Robert Winthrop. He was a U.S. congressman in the 1800s. He stated it quite nicely. Listen to his words. This is a hoary head, a man of wisdom, speaking to this generation today. All societies of men must be governed in some way or other. Men in the word must necessarily be controlled 
either by a power within them, that's the gospel chain that puts the beast on the inside, that creates a religious and moral people, that puts a chain on the tyranny and the beast from without. So we got to have this power within us. Or if you reject the gospel, if you reject Christ, if you reject Christianity, if you reject virtue, if you reject true good law and justice and mercy, if you reject morality, if you reject biblical godly education, uh, if you reject all these virtues, uh, then you're going to be controlled by a power without them. So this is the valley of decision here, America. You're either going to be ruled by the word of God or by the strong arm of man. Either the Bible or the bayonet. Which do you choose, America? I would admonish you to choose wisely. Especially if we long to secure a future and hope for our children and grandchildren. Well, Des, I think we've gone through the monument. I think we've pretty much presented the, the truths this monument sought to communicate. And, um, and I do pray that uh, as you listen to this, brothers and sisters, that you would pass this on to others, that you would use it to maybe inform your family, your neighbors, your churches. And I would ask you even to consider this. This, this, is, this could be a great family homeschool trip, you know, that you can take your family on a trip maybe to Massachusetts and Plymouth and find this monument and use it as an opportunity to teach, you know, true history. Uh, you know, these were the people. This was the faith. This was the worldview that founded our nation. And these are the things that are being squandered in our generation. And we got to reclaim them. We, 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 need, we need to revive the church uh, and reform the church so we can restore our nation. And this monument provides like some serious truths and principles that can help us to accomplish that. So I, I do pray minimally that you go online, that you watch the monumental documentary, and you can type in Forefathers Monument in Plymouth. It's awesome. Take a look at the monument. Go, go through the details. It's, it's incredible. And it's all there for us to learn, to reclaim, and to teach and pass on to our children and our grandchildren. Well... <laughs> Another episode in the can, <laughs> Destiny. And so, brothers and sisters, this is Rusty Thomas with Kingdom Moments signing off and reminding you once again, keep pressing on to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints.